It's time to unleash you at Kangan Institute. Enroll now. Kangan.edu.au. RTO 3077. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. A very good afternoon to you and welcome to Dwayne's World. Sam Hargraves in the chair for Dwayne, who's having a well-earned break. I'll be with you on Monday and Friday of this week, but never fear because the Midday Madness promise will always live on. Even in Dwayne's absence, that promise we will keep true too. If you call, you get on, whatever you want to talk about in the world of sport, one 736 736 Midday Madness on Dwayne's World for the Kangan Institute. Unleash you at Kangan Institute. Enroll now. Wonderful to have your company, however you're finding us, wherever you're finding us. I'm glad you have, and I'm looking forward to being able to chat to you over the next couple of hours about whatever you want to put on the sporting agenda. Mostly at this time of the day, my day is trying to figure out what the sounds my 15-month-old son is making to me and what they mean in the context of his life. So having some conversations with some adults will be a novelty for me. And the Werribee Kia open line is always that, one 736 736 Werribee Kia, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. You can text in on the 40 Winks Temper text, 0433-98-1116 for the all-new Temper Pro. Temper's most adaptive mattress ever is here. Temper, a mattress like no other. On the show today, Trent Copeland after 1 o'clock to talk all things One Day International World Cup. The WBBL season has started and we'll look ahead to the summer of cricket. Sheffield Shield off and running as well. Miles Fitzner to wrap up a big weekend of racing. Caulfield Cup without a fight. What a win that was for the Freedman camp. Delisted Bulldog and Premiership Bulldog from 2016, Toby McLean. What's next for Toby? Is there another chapter to write in his football story or is he on to the next phase of his life? Looking forward to catching up with him and BP to talk all things tennis. So whatever you want to put on the agenda, please feel free to do so. But I did want to ask you this today. With the AFL men's season over, trade week's finished. It's an interesting time of the year. Now, I liken it to coming out of an all-consuming relationship, the kind where you're so deep in that love bubble, you don't see certain friends or family during the footy season unless they're right in that bubble with you. It takes up your weekends, your spare time. It's everything. You live it, you breathe it. It's the tension, the drama, the highs, the lows, the agony, the ecstasy, the pleasure, the pain. Nothing enters your world because footy is your world. And then it finishes and you emerge from that almost like coming out of a coma. What's been happening? What else is going on? What have I missed? Where is everybody else? And for some, there's a hole that needs to be filled. Now, luckily you might have brought the AFLW into that relationship, one club, multiple teams, and they can give you that footy fix and you can continue on that all-consuming relationship with them. It's a thrilling season that's unfolding there. The race to the finish with two games to go. There's 13 teams in finals contention. Most of those are in top four contention still. The Lions gave their Crows their first loss of the year. The Pies have won four in a row to be in the top six and maybe give their club a million bucks and the McClellan Trophy for the best-performed team in AFL and AFLW combined. So there's still a way to get footy and keep footy in your life. There's still a way to keep that relationship going. But once AFLW ends as well, do you just jump into the summer of cricket? Because that's your two relationships. That's what it was always been. Winter was footy. Summer was cricket. But now, with so many other sports elevating themselves and the product they put up is elite and as entertaining as it's ever been, The eye can wander, you realise that there are plenty more fish in the sea, and maybe you don't need to be monogamous to just men's AFL and men's cricket. Maybe you might try a bit of polyamory, spend some time with some other sports, dip your toe in a couple of other ponds. This weekend alone, from a sports point of view, you could have watched 
The Men's One Day International World Cup, Australia getting their first win against Pakistan, Warner and Marsh. That opening stand, the second highest ever in One Day International World Cup opening partnerships. All-time entertainment that was. And that surely got you up and about. And England losing to South Africa would have made it all the sweeter. The Rugby World Cup, two England losses in one weekend was a naughty little pleasure. The Springboks beating them and the All Blacks beating the Argentinians in the semi-final. The WBBL started. The Melbourne Stars had a win against the Sixers, only to be bowled out for 29 in their next game against the Strikers. If you haven't seen Grace Harris blasting the highest ever WBBL score, 136 off 59 balls in their win against the Strikers, which provided one of the most incredible cricket highlights of all time. She hit a six with a broken bat. The ball goes flying over the fence. The bat goes flying in another direction. It's as incredible a bit of vision as you're likely to see. The Caulfield Cup, well, that was a thriller. Without a fight, only passed fit to race 24 hours earlier. Left foot, left hoof scare, comes from behind with 200 to go to beat the highly fancied West Wind Blows. The Turnbull Stakes win a gold trip, who's equal second favourite for this weekend's Cox Plate. Mark Zara's now got a big choice on who to ride this Saturday. Stay on without a fight or go back to gold trip. The Friedman family get their first Caulfield Cup since Mummify in 03. And Anthony and Sam getting their biggest moment now at the helm of the Friedman operation. The NBL season's off to a sizzling start. This weekend, the Jack Jumpers ended the Kings winning streak. The United's comeback win over the Breakers. They're top of the table. They were some standouts. And then the NBA season starts this week. News today that Jack White and Duop Reith, they're looking for new homes. They've been cut by the Thunder and the Trailblazers, respectively. So now we'll have somewhere between 10 to 13 Aussies in action there this season and all eyes on Ben Simmons and the Nets. The NFL, not just all about Taylor Swift, but the actual action has been amazing as well. I'm a long-suffering Jets fan, and I've loved how we've got ourselves to 3-3 three and three after having the most Jets start to a season ever, losing Aaron Rodgers after four snaps. Only the Jets that would happen to. Have you sidled up to an NFL side? Formula One, Max Verstappen got the win this morning in the US. Lewis Hamilton's been disqualified. His car was checked after the race and irregularities found. Were you at the MotoGP in Phillip Island over the weekend? Johan Zarco winning a drama-filled race. And then it was moved from the Sunday to the Saturday due to the weather. Did it catch you out? Did you make it for the race itself? The A-League season started. The Hockey One season is going great guns. Three games going into overtime shootouts. You can watch all that, by the way, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday on 7 Plus. I hear the commentary is fantastic. Uh, the Aussies killing it in golf. Minji Lee winning her 10th LPGA tournament in a playoff at the BMW in South Korea. Her brother, Min Woo Lee, he has a final round 65 to finish tied for sixth at the Zozo Championships in Japan behind Colin Morikawa. They all flew home on a private jet together and all but clinched his PGA card for next year. Bryson DeChambeau's crushes win the season championship for the team's in the Live Golf, Taylor Gooch the week before got the individual crown over Cam Smith. The Aussies Golf Summers in full swing. The Webex Series in SA was hosted by Greg Blewett. It went down to the wire. Austin Bautista, a one-shot win over Lamb, Greer and Campbell. Last week, Ben Eccles in the WA PGA and Simon Hawks in the WA Open before that. So has your eye wandered after the men's AFL season and the trade week consumed your every waking moment? Have you adopted the one club, multiple teams mantra, so your AFL team is included in that most significant of sporting relationships? Or is your eye able to wander? Are you able to have a little flirtation somewhere else? Sporting monogamy is great, but with all the other sport on offer, there's a chance to sow your sporting oats. So have you dialed in this weekend? What's tickled your fancy? Have you dallied with another sport? The beautiful Evie is on board with the Pies women. They're run to the finals, but 
She's still pining for her one true love, the Collingwood men's team, and we're watching every win in chronological order, apparently, and we're only up to round three. So pray for me. So I'd love to hear from you. one 736 736 Where are you getting your sporting fix at the moment? Trout's in Woodend. G'day, Trout. Hello, Sam. How are you going? Good, thank you, buddy. Out there as well. Well, look, Sammy. At, hey, I'll get away from that rattle gun. At 59, I'm playing Diggers Rest Cricket in the seconds, dominating, holding my own. Um, you know, that's what it's all about. After footy, you go and play cricket. I got to play against my old club on the weekend. Took my first ever Woodend wicket with uh, Mr. Robinson. So he's famous now in a trivia question. Um, you know, second in the bowling at 59. Um, in the comp, and I'm also five for 12 off eight. I'm a gun, mate. I just love cricket. I love playing for the community club and all that sort of stuff. It's great fun. Well, it sounds like uh, the pleasure's all theirs just to have someone of uh, your elite talents uh, wander into the change rooms for them, Trout. And they do say, though, that self-praise is no praise, but, hey, who am I to steal your thunder, mate? Hey, that's very exciting stuff. Thank you for giving us a call. There's always a prize for the first up caller on Midday Madness. You've won a Signet Boost Power Bank valued at $44.95. Signet Boost Power Bank will keep your phone, tablet, and earbuds powered 24-7. So Midday Madness promise it lives on. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Tim's in Brighton. G'day, Tim. Hey, Sam, thanks for the show. Before I get on to... Um... Grace Harris, I, what tickled my fancy over the weekend was uh, the F1 uh, in Texas and also the, uh, uh, the Minjing Lee. We watched that uh, South Korean tournament and that was the most beautiful golf course I've seen in, in a long time. It was magnificent. Did you have a chance to see it? Yeah, I did. And I loved the crowd that they got too. Um, that, that was packed out. Uh, if you saw the final hole when Minji got the win... Uh, the course was magnificent. The crowd was sensational. Women's golf is just going from strength to strength, Tim. It is a, a, a fantastic product to watch. It is elite, elite golf, and uh, it's it's well worth the watch. I 100% agree with you. And we also watched um, the WBBL, and, and uh, uh, I just wanted to, to, to highlight Grace Harris and just, just the fact that, you know, she's been around a while. I think she's about 30 years of age in... And, uh, um, you know, her uh, demeanour or approach and down-to-earth hasn't changed. But my question to you, uh, Sam, is the bat manufacturers, in this day and age, is it still possible to have these bats, you know, break the way that hers did on the weekend? It's a great question, Tim. I don't know enough about the science involved and the manufacturing and what goes into putting the willow together. So it could just be one out of... You know, just one, it could have got a knock at the wrong time. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I, 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 would, I wouldn't even try to entertain what it may or may not have been. Suffice to say that, and I appreciate you bringing it up, have a listen to this. Grace Harris calls the fact that she needs a new bat because the bat's broken, but then decides she doesn't want to hold up proceedings. She'll just get on with it. And this is what unfolded. <laughs> Classic Grace Harris behaviour. Stuff it, I'll still hit it. <laughs> stuff it, I'll still hit it. I love that. Uh, she's box office. There's no doubt about that. And there it is. She knew. And she's still in for six. It is extraordinary stuff. That is all time. If, if you haven't seen that highlight yet, you must go and have a look at it. It is as good as anything I've seen. It will live on 
for a long, long time. And that century from Grace Harris, the the the, the highest ever uh, individual score in a WBBL match, it, it eclipsed the the previous total. She scored. 136 off 59 balls in the Heat's 50-run win uh, against the Scorchers. one 736 on the Werribee Kia open line. Andrew's in Nidri. G'day, Andrew. G'day, uh, Sammy. Uh, yes, I'm on to Tottenham Hotspurs, so the Willie Whites, and um, I've been on to them for a number of weeks. They're playing tomorrow morning at 6, so I'll probably get up and watch them uh, before work. And um, and also the, um, uh, the, the Corporal Cup, all the carnival uh, races um, into into that with um, um, didn't do too well on the weekend, but broke even. But um, yeah, so I'm into that. Not into the A League, not into the cricket. Um, uh, just too boring. Uh, the A League's just um, and the girls' footy. Well, I don't mind watching Essendon play, um, but uh, my partner she doesn't like girls' footy, so she um, um, doesn't. Um, yeah, we don't get involved. So, well, two t- always handy to get the second TV if you can to make sure you can keep watching your Bombers, who are, who are just outside the, the top four, by the way. They're, they're sitting fifth at the moment, so just in their second year, going along beautifully, the SNFLW AFLW uh, squad, Andrew. But you're right, the racing spring has been phenomenal already. Great stories, great results, exciting races. That was a thriller in the Caulfield Cup. And I didn't even mention the Premier League. You know, Under Ange, Tottenham are in fourth. They're just a game uh, off top spot. So it'll be interesting to see how they go next up. Uh, Man City uh, on top of the Premier League uh, at the moment as well. Sam Hargraves in for Dwayne. The Werribee Kia open line is always open, though, for Midday Madness. Awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. I asked you the question, if the AFL men's season is your most significant sporting relationship, have you folded the AFLW uh, into that? to continue that monogamous relationship with your football club, or are you having some dalliances elsewhere? Where are you getting your sporting fix? Where are you getting that need met with so much elite sport happening? I went through the raft of sport that happened over the weekend, and I even missed a couple. Alex Volkanovsky, unfortunately, losing uh, his UFC title bout. So off the text, 043398 for the 40 Winks uh, temper text. Um, got up early yesterday to watch Volkanovski. Wasn't the result us Aussies wanted, but he lost no fans, especially with his post-fight press conference. He is a great representative of our country. Couldn't agree more. He's an absolute ripper, Alex Volkanovski. And I really, really hope that fight with Conor McGregor happens sooner rather than later once he's passed fit to fight again. Uh, last year, I got into the Aussie baseball over the summer. Go the Melbourne Aces. That's from Ben. Uh, an update from uh, 447 saying Sam Lewis Hamilton who finished second, and Charles Leclerc, sixth, have both been disqualified from the US Grand Prix for technical infringements, which was discovered post-race. Very rare to see disqualifications in the F1. Paul says, Sam, you sound like one of those guys who have never who have never outside their backyard. Brilliant. I don't know what that means, Paul, but uh, brilliant start to the A-League season. Thank you for your text. Um, 718 says, I'm getting my fix from watching the AFL Grand Final over and over. Go pies. That sounds very similar to what's going on uh, in my house. Not by my choice. Uh, I've always been a footy cricket winter summer man. The winter ashes uh, has sucked a little juice out of the cricket for me this year, so I'm looking for something else. American sport is all just as ridiculous advertising vehicle, so that's out. Love my golf, so that's the front runner. I'm happy to hear other suggestions. That's from Dave. Spiros is in Carnegie on the Werribee Care open line. Spiros, hello, mate. How are you, Sam? I'm good, thank you. Uh, you. I've just got a couple of questions. Um, really, um, 
the doping with the AFL. But before I do, I just just quickly, yeah, I've still got one eye on the uh, on the AFL, what goes on, and also I've joined the committee of our cricket club at Brighton Union. And ah, uh, uh, well done. And um, yeah, that's no, great. And going to the boys as often as I can there on the weekend. So it's a, yeah, no, it's really good. Um, with the, firstly with um, Smith. I didn't think he was allowed to be named. That was the first question. How come they've named him? I thought that they didn't name him unless he had your three strikes on out and out. Um, because that's under the AFL's testing, the three-strike policy. This is not. This positive test has not come about from the AFL testing. Uh, this is from the anti-doping uh, agency that has conducted that test after a game. Um, which is testing for performance enhancing. So the AFL policy is all to do with uh, illicit drugs. Um, the anti-doping testing is about performance enhancing. So they're two different policies. They're two different testing bodies. Um, and then once that positive test comes through, the club agreed to release uh, his name. So that's how that's unfolded, Spiros. And Okay, cool. And uh, the other thing is the, the, um, uh, the penalties that are given... That he's that are given um, outside the uh, the playing um, uh, rounds. Do you think that's right, or do you think they should get the penalties during the um, the playing rounds? Or what do you, what do you think about that? Uh, well, I need to refamiliarise myself with with the process um, on exactly what the current rules in place are, and then I reckon I'd be more comfortable in in giving a. Um, an opinion on whether I think that's adequate or not. And uh, so I'll hold power. I'll I'll keep some power to dry on that Spiros until that penalty is handed down and it's explained. And then I'll have my head around it a little bit more. At the moment, we don't know what it's going to be. So I'd just be speculating. So once I, once, once we see what it is, then I think we'd, uh, we'll have a clear understanding of it and then be able to give an opinion based on it. Um, as well, but I, with these things, I'm happy to listen to what the experts say is is appropriate. But what that'll be, because what needs to happen in this situation, the most he can miss is is four years. But with a test for 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 this particular drug, they're saying that it, it if you can prove that it wasn't performance enhancing and and if it was out of, and and prove that it wasn't actually for the benefit of of sport of his sporting pursuits, then the, 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 there'll be the lesser penalty. So what that will be, we'll wait and see. No worries, Sam. Okay, thanks, Sam. Uh, thanks for the call, Spiros. Really appreciate it. Midday Man has promised you call, you get on. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Darren's in Blackburn. G'day, Darren. G'day, Sammy. Great to chat to you. Thank um, you. Look, as a as a Pies man, I'm obviously getting by on a, on a few watches of the replay <laughs> and a couple of the girls' games, of course. Yes. But um, I'm a huge American football fan and not just the NFL. So there's always... Um, some really good college games on on the weekend. There was a yes. ripper yesterday with Old Miss and Auburn, and those SEC games are always fantastic. Well, those are rivalry games, aren't they, Darren? That go back oh, they, years and generations. That's in the blood, isn't it? It is bitter and fierce. It is as bad as you know any professional rivalry that goes around, and um, and to see just the entire spectacle with these. Stadiums that are on campus more often than not, and they're absolutely chockers, like hundred thousand. But you go to you go go to Michigan and and, and the Wolverines, and they've got a massive hundred and ten thousand seat stadium on campus, and and the the bands and and everything like that. So 
Uh, I, I know American football is not everyone's cup of tea, but you've got some really big um, teams. The Ohio State Buckeyes, for example, they're, they're looking like being ranked number one in the, when the college yeah. rankings come out later this week. And, and Darren, Maguire's there's no... The punter there. Who's that, sorry? Eddie Maguire's son is a punter at the Ohio State Buckeyes, young Joseph Maguire. So, is he really? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a, the, um, the, the pro kick program run by Nathan Chapman gets a lot of... Uh, he's, he, he has done an extraordinary thing, Nathan Chapman, because it's not only the players he's got over, and it's it's closing in on 100, I think. It's around 90. Yeah, but it, it's, not just what, in the, in, yeah, it's not just but, what he's done to get them a gig at, at the college football... But it's also what they do, getting an education and a degree. It's yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. incredible. And they were saying in the in the commentary yesterday with the Old Miss uh, Clemson game and the uh, uh, one of the punters um, Mason for Old Miss is uh, an Aussie and he, he comes out and um, and they're saying oh the Aussie punter and and then the commentary was oh, yeah, but how many of the punters nowadays are Aussies? I think everyone's got an Aussie punter. So and then you know I love the NFL as well and the New England Patriots of course. And uh, that was a very, very Jets-like round, round one. Um, <laughs> I just, I just really, really, really felt for them um, because I mean they've got one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and four snaps, and yeah, so that was very, very Jets-like. So, but uh, it's not for everyone. I get that, but it certainly gets me through. Hey, Darren, great to get your call, mate. Thanks so much for ringing in. Really appreciate it. I've got a $50 e-gift card for you. It's redeemable online or in-store. It's thanks to the House of Golf, your one-stop shop for all things golf. Can I recommend? Just go to the Callaway section of <laughs> of the House of Golf, my friend. Stay on the line. Uh, Mitch will get your details. Midday Madness Promise, uh, alive and well, even in Dwayne's absence, one 736 736 That's the legacy piece that the pipe has left in his time at SEN. I, I think Midday Madness will, will outlive us all. For the rest of time, there'll be Midday Madness. And people will say, oh, I remember when that started. Uh, one 736 736 uh, Dwayne's World for the Kangan Institute. Unleash you at Kangan Institute, enrol now. Uh, text are rolling in. I'll get to as many of them as possible. Uh, where are you putting most of your sporting time at the moment? What new relationship from a sporting point of view have you struck up? Uh, Peter's in Mill Park. G'day, Pete. Hey, Sam. How are you, mate? Uh, all the better for speaking to you. What have you got for me? Uh, just um, a query on Sidebottom's goal in the grand final. Mm. Uh, the talk did he kick. I reckon he kicked an inverted top. What do you think? Was that a top, was it? Was that a barrel? Pretty, uh, I thought he just went regulation a, drop punt. No, it was a barrel, but I'm thinking he didn't kick it on the outstep. He kicked it on his instep, so it was a rever- reverse top. Have a look if, at that. If he's gone an inside-out barrel, Pete, in a grand final... In the That's manner that he think. did from outside 50, I'll put it up there to the greatest grand final goal ever, but I just don't think it was a barrel. I'll have to go back and have a look at it. It wasn't a drop punt, so it would have had to have been a barrel. Right. And I think he's kicked it at, yeah, an inverted tort, which is even better. Oh, absolutely. I don't think there's a harder kick in football, is there, than the inverted tort? No, there wouldn't be in that stage of the game, and it just sailed straight through, but... It's hard to tell, but when you look closely, that's what I think he kicked. Yeah, it was a ripper. All right, I've got to find the goal. I've got to find the goal and have a look. But if you do know, oh, hang on. I'll have to see it again. I'm looking at the ball drop. Maybe you're right. Is that a barrel? 
I'm going to have to go back and look at this again. For those who know, let let me know. I didn't notice that on the day. One three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. A lot of people saying it was a drop punt. The, um, the what I'm looking at is a little blurry. So Pete, we will find out. But if you're right, then yeah, it goes to the top of the list for me. I just don't think it was. I think it was a drop punt. But we will. Just wait and see. Thanks for the call. A very good friend of the whole station, uh, and I got the pleasure of meeting him uh, in one of the last rounds of the year at the MCG. Andy from Taralgon, who, if you listen to Andy and Gazy uh, on a Friday, rings up to ask a, a fantastic question each and every week just to get the mind ticking over. He's been good enough to call in again. One of our favourites, Andy in Taralgon. Hello, mate. G'day, Sam, and thank you for the nice kind words, Sam. Well, thank you for being you. What have you, what have you got for me today? Okay, my question this afternoon is, name me the three biggest upsets in sporting history. Oh, the three biggest upsets in sporting history. Oh, that's a, off the top of my head. All right, off the top of my head. Probably have to go Buster Douglas, don't we? 42 to 1, he was paying to, to beat Mike Tyson when he did. So that's probably going to be right up there. Uh... Look, it might not be one of the greatest sporting upsets of all time, but Andy, I know you're a big Bombers man, and I hate to do this to you, but maybe 99 prelim, Carlton being the Essendon. Is that, would that be up there for us, mate? Uh, you say it, Sam. <laughs> I'm, I'm listening. Oh, I couldn't help myself, Andy. And what about this? I'll go... Carlton. Yes. Uh, what about the 2008 grand final, Hawthorne beating Geelong, for one just a little closer to home? There's the miracle on ice... Uh, there's a few others uh, just like that, but there, there's a couple just off the top of my head. Um, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. If you want to answer Andy's question, Andy, what are your three biggest upsets of all time? Okay, my three biggest upsets in sporting history are number one, the New York Giants are defeating New England in the Super Bowl XL II in two thousand and eight. Yeah, they got them twice, but yes. Two. Japan defeated South Africa at the 2015 Rugby World Cup. Yes. And and three, and this year's Cricket World Cup upsets, Afghanistan defeated England and Netherlands defeated South Africa in this year's Cricket World Cup. Well, there's some great upsets. Uh, a couple more coming in. Leicester is another one when they won the Premier League. Uh, when was that? 2016, 2017, 2016? Uh, so there's one. Steve Bradbury is coming through. You've got him going, Andy, as you always do when you call in, mate. Thanks for ringing. Always a pleasure to chat to you, my friend. No, Sammy, you have a good afternoon. I'll talk again soon, mate. And you too, Andy from Traugan, one of our favourites uh, on SEN. Sam Hargrave subbing in for the pipe today after one o'clock. Trent Copeland, Miles Fitzner, Toby McLean, Brett Phillips, just to name a few. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Oh, midday madness promise is alive and well. You call, you get on for the Kangan Institute. Unleash you at Kangan Institute. Enrol now. Gavin's in Ringwood. G'day, Gav. Gav. G'day, Sammy. How you going, mate? Very well. Thank you for asking. Uh, I umpired my first game of uh, cricket on Saturday, mate. At age sixty-three. Good man. How did you go? Oh, look, mate. I th- I thought I did okay. Um. I'll let you know, um, it was in the eastern suburbs, mm-hmm. um, sub-district, that's probably all I should say. Look, both captains knew it was my first game and the players players were really good, but uh, it's a tough gig, mate. Um, Absolutely. You've you got to do, 
apart from the front foot, like you know, there might be a, a, a pad involved, or a, it might be a snick behind, and yeah. uh, or you know, a little run out or whatever. But no, look, it all went well, mate. Pretty nervous initially, but uh, I'm actually looking forward to to finishing it uh, next week. It's uh, pretty evenly poised. Um, 80 overs is, is a fair bit to get through, but no, it went well, mate. Uh, Gav, just before I let you go, are you? What, what was your sort of style like? Did you have a bit of a flair oh, for the dramatic? Were you? Did you hesitate well, with the finger going up? Were you a little bit Billy Bowden? Did you have some theatrics no, look, that you went I with? Looked like Dickie Bird a couple of times. Um, <laughs> I actually, I actually wandered a little bit, and I was told, mate, you got to start, you got to stand still. Oh yeah, it must be a statue at the at that end there. Yeah, but no, it was good, mate. I enjoyed it. So looking forward to next Saturday. Uh, not all heroes wear capes, Gav, and I think that anyone that puts their hand up to umpire at grassroots level is absolutely a hero. So well done to you. Uh, you've won a double pass to Cox Plate Eve, Friday, 27th of October. Experience racing action and entertainment at the Ladbrokes Cox Plate Carnival. Tickets at coxplate.com.au. A general admission pass for you and whoever you want to take there, Gav, to head along to that Cox Plate Eve uh, this Friday, the 27th of October. Hey, Pete's in Paran. G'day, Pete. Sammy, lovely to speak with you again, my friend. Uh, great to be chatting with you. Thank you. It's been a very warm welcome back, which I greatly appreciate. Uh, thoroughly deserved. Um, so two, two things from me. One, a little bit of uh, licence on the... Um, greatest upsets. I want to call them the greatest upsets. Uh, and that would be, one would be Clarko being told not to come back to Hawthorne. He was pretty upset. Yes. But also the Adelaide Rose. $900,000 uh, handshake, but yes. Yes, but he was a little bit upset. Yeah. Um, and not as upset, though, as the Adelaide Crows who, when they uh, missed out the finals this year, um, uh, thanks to some poor uh, umpiring or decision-making, let's say. Uh, that's that one. That's, an, that's a good topic for another day. The upsets. Uh, what was the most upsetting thing you've seen in sport? But do you want to have a chat about Hawthorne's trade period, Pete? Yeah, I, I did. I know you're a, you're a massive fan, mate. So I did want to get your thoughts on the, uh, yes, not to trade so much, but the players we've just drafted into Hawthorne and, and get your opinion on uh, on all four of them, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, so Tyler Brockman goes, which I think is a big loss. I think he could be an elite small forward, Tyler Brockman, but understand the reasons why he wanted to to head home. Uh, Kajitsky going to Richmond and, and Brandon Ryan, who I only saw a couple of times, uh, who looks like he's got some raw ability uh, heading to the Lions. And Jacob Kajitsky's played some good footy, so it'll be interesting to see how it pans out for Richmond. I think Jack Ginneman is a great get. It's been a couple of years in the system. Last year, kicked 40 goals, 19, I reckon, in a team that made a prelim. was their second-highest goal kicker. Um, I think that speaks volumes to his ability. And when he found his way back into the team and forced his way back into the team, I thought he performed really well, especially the uh, the game where he had, I think, six-goal assists or whatever it was, six-score involvements, uh, three-goal assists, and kicked one himself. So I think that he'll only get better. I think his best footy is hopefully still ahead of him. Uh, Marby or Chol, I think, is a really good pick as well. Uh, again, heaps of, heaps of ability, and we'll get great tutelage from Jack Gunston coming back. And um, elite ball use is worth its weight in gold, and Massimo D'Ambrosia provides that. Uh, so I'd give him about a seven. Give him about a seven for the trade period, Pete. Mate, that's that's quite fair, actually. It, it all depends, obviously, as it pans out. Like you say, it can be even higher than that. But I really appreciate your thoughts and great to speak with you again. Um, looking forward to hearing you uh, 
some more uh, over the coming days. Oh, back on Friday. Uh, just don't want to have people sick of me too soon. I'm sure that's happened already. Uh, but thank you, Pete, for the kind words. Greatly appreciated. Uh, Mark's in Limestone Coast who wants to nominate a sporting upset after Andy from Terralgan got the ball rolling there. G'day, Mark. No, g'day, mate. How are you going? Good, thank you. What have you got for me? Well, I cast my mind back to when I was a whippersnapper watching uh, the cricket back in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember the invincible West Indies team came here and gave us an absolute shellacking. Mm. Then they went across They went across the pond to New Zealand and the little minnow of New Zealand um, beat them in a test series. And uh, it was the making of Richard Hadley and it was, the, I think, the making of the New Zealand cricket side. And at the time, it was huge news. And also in that same era, a big shout-out to the America's Cup. I think that was a pretty big upset. Coming through loud and clear on the 40 Winks temper text, Mark. So thank you for your nominations. Greatly appreciated. There's been some stuff over the last few weeks, but I feel like this happens at most clubs. Um, there's adversity here, adversity there. Obviously, our adversity has all come at once. I'm certainly very bullish on the culture we've built over the last three or four years, that it can withstand adversity like this, and um, we're able to get in the top four again like we have the last three years. Melbourne captain Max Gorn, courtesy of Channel 7 News, when questioned about Melbourne's culture, which has been put under the spotlight in uh, after recent events, uh, whether it be with Clayton Oliver or with the positive test of Joel Smith, it elicited this response today from Kane Corns and Gerard Waitley. Max Gorn says this happens at most clubs. Well, well, no, it doesn't. And at most clubs, your best players don't have significant issues like Clayton Oliver has. So... This story from Mark Robinson around Clayton Oliver, one East Melbourne resident recently revealed mm. that Oliver, after a light training session at Yarra Park in the summer of 2022, bent a number of windscreen wipers on cars in a side street. It doesn't happen at most clubs. Your best player doesn't walk down the street bending the windscreens of cars. Like, this doesn't happen. So, yeah. And then we've got May and Melksham, and that, that was just really distasteful what happened after the grand final there punch-ups between players at at pubs like it that it doesn't happen and then we've got the oliver then we've got smith then we've got may speaking like embarrassing himself at the best and fairest saying that they would have won the premiership i know it's in an intimate room but you've got to be smarter than that he's 31 years of age Stephen may so he's had a couple of wines probably and gets up there and makes a fool out of himself and and max gorn's sitting here telling us the culture's good, and Simon Goodwin's doing the same. So I think they need to be a bit more honest about where their football club is at. This isn't an isolated event, and it's certainly, I think, incredibly serious, and something drastically wrong is going on with one of your players' lives mm. if he's sitting at home or if he's at a seedy nightclub on a Friday before a Sunday game doing this. This doesn't happen, Max, at every other club. Gorn says that Melbourne's going through something that's commonplace across clubs. That, that's not really true. Every family has their issues, sure enough, but the Demons are the dysfunctional family of the league right now. As matters that have been, I would say, unsettling privately are now playing out in public. So for a couple of years, across a number of incidents Melbourne has denied and rationalised to placate its fans and calm the raging debate. But all that matters is what's been going on in the dressing room. You can convince us of anything you like, but the players know. The players know. They're living it day to day. Those who are obsessively dedicated to the pursuit of excellence and those who are allowing 
their indulgences to distract from the collective cause. The best and fairest was laced with messaging to the point of pleading with those who aren't fully committed to the required standards and behaviours. As a comparison, that was as awkward a Christmas lunch as there could ever be in a footy context. The demons know more acutely than anyone else they are at risk of wasting the best years of opportunity. And damage control and cover-up are the worst waste of energy. They shatter unity and they divert from the quest. The perverse part is it insults those who are ultra-committed, leaving them to answer for their recalcitrant teammates. Every time Max Gorn and Christian Petrarca engage in a promotional activity this spring, and they're entitled to plenty, they are going to face questions about Clayton Oliver, about Joel Smith, about culture, about professionalism. So that was Kane Corns uh, this morning on SEN Breakfast, and then Jared Waitley uh, back after a spell and very well performed, fresh up to uh, Jared as you'd expect. But giving his view in response to Max Gorn defending Melbourne's culture, believing that this is commonplace and that clubs go through their issues. On the other side of the news, I want to play you something that it just tweaked a memory that I had of, of a chat that I had with Jack Rewalt when he was hosting Tiger Time. Uh, on SEN back in 2020 about culture and about what your real test of culture is and when your culture actually does come to the fore because that's the question that's being asked of Melbourne at the moment. Do you have a culture problem? So is the culture problem, is there a problem when, is it a problem with your culture when things go wrong and you do experience adversity and players go through hardships and maybe make mistakes or whatever it might be? Or is there another test to what your culture is really all about? Uh, played you Max Gorn, who's back from a holiday. Uh, Clayton Older living at his house, uh, as we know. Questions about Melbourne's culture. He says that they're going to work through that adversity, that these things happen at teams. Um, and it doesn't mean they have an issue with their culture and they will work through it together and come out the other side uh, in, for lack of better words, not paraphrasing Max, but in 2020, uh, I spoke with Jack Rewald a few days after the Kebabgate incident when he was co-hosting his Tiger Time show on SEN. Now, you remember back then, the Tigers' culture was being questioned as well at that point. Uh, they'd had the 2017 flag, the 2019 flag. We went into the COVID hub. There was some indiscretions there. There was Kebabgate. Uh, there was incident with Brooke Cochin that uh, Trent uh, addressed in his new book, the Marbio Chole incident. There'd been accusations that Richmond had a culture problem, albeit different to what Melbourne are being questioned about at the minute. But the Tigers... Regroup. They went on to win a flag. And Jack Rewald at the time defended Richmond's culture. This is what he had to say when asked if indeed they did have a culture problem at Richmond. The culture is, it's the bounce back. The culture is, is the other things I'm speaking about. The actual, well, what, well, what are we going to do now? It's, it's yes, we've, we've stuffed up. And yes, the brand's been affected. And, and yes, we've lost some respect from, from people in the industry, from other supporters and from our own supporters of, would be feeling down about the way that the club's been painted at the moment. But the culture mm. is what you do next. How, how do you bounce back? How, how do you prepare and put this behind and get ready for, for Friday night, as you said off the top, in a massive game of AFL football? How do you look after your people to get them through and get them going again? So it's the culture will be what pans out over the next period of time. And that's not just the back end of the season, but that's on in, into the future. And that's how our young men will grow and young women in our, in our AFLW program will grow. So that is the culture of, of the football club. 
So that was Jack Rewalt's view that even with the best culture, things can happen. Players can experience hardship. They can have mental health challenges. They can fall. They can falter. But the real test of your culture will be how you deal with those moments and those situations and how you come out the other side. So Melbourne have said in statements that they've put out, for them, they're going to focus on the welfare and the support of the players that are currently going through those issues, which I applaud. But maybe we do need to hear from them to answer those questions. Maybe, it's, as Jared said, it's, it shouldn't be up to Max and Christian Petrarca whenever they go anywhere over the off-season to have to answer those questions. For me, if they say these things are going, these players are going through struggles and real struggles, then I accept that on face value. We can be cynical in this life, but we only diminish and degrade those with mental health issues if we refuse to believe people when they say that. So I'd rather be wrong being naive and being empathetic than I would be right from being pessimistic. I accept what they say on face value. So their welfare, their well-being, that is the most important thing right now. We do fall in life. We do falter. What happens next is the key. And that, to Jack Rewalt, is the real test of culture, how you handle these moments. So these could just be isolated moments that have all come in a perfect storm. But what happens next will determine whether or not there is a culture problem uh, at Melbourne. You can have your say on that if you like, one 736 736 on Midday Madness. We just changed directions ever so slightly. Keep your text coming through uh, as well. Tony wants to know why aren't we talking more AFLW. Tony, I did chat about it off the top of the show and more than happy to chat about it anytime you want. It's a phenomenal season of AFLW that's unfolding. And please give us a call if you want to put that on the agenda. Let's celebrate. It's a sports celebration time. All thanks to our friends at Tobin Brothers Funeral celebrating lives. The Aussies finally had a reason to celebrate at the ODI World Cup Friday night. Dave Warner, Mitch Marsh, their centuries, their partnership, the second highest ever at a World Cup. And this is how it unfolded. And that's a magnificent 21st one-day international century for David Warner. Put down early, but he's made the most of the opportunity that has been granted to him on one of the biggest stages. Nice placement. Wonderful placement. Now Mitchell Marsh celebrates as well. Only his second in ODIs. On his birthday, the best gift he could give to himself. So what a night it was. It was the second win, of course, that Australia had at the World Cup after beating Sri Lanka in the game before that, after losing their first two. A man who's been right across it is, as he is all things cricket, whether it's on Channel 7, uh, the WBBL, who will be front and centre of the Test Summer that's ahead, 11.70 on SEN in Sydney. You can hear him there as well. He's always very generous with his time, is the former Aussie fast bowler Trent Copeland. Hello, mate. Hello. How are we? Lots to talk about in the cricket world. There is. What's going on? I think we better start at the ODI World Cup. The tables have turned. Australia at two and two after a sluggish start. Should we be all chips in again, Trent, after the opening performance of Warner and Marsh? Or do we get a little worried about what happened after they departed? How did you see the performance against Pakistan? Well, I've got a couple of ways to answer this. Firstly, let's start with the positives. I think... Uh, I was watching that game the other night against Pakistan, thinking to myself, if we can get through Shaheen Afridi's opening spell, where he so often takes new ball wickets, I think we can really go a a distance towards winning this game and competing in this tournament. But what I was thinking then, sort of 10, 15 overs in, was my word, the bison and the bull are on as a partnership. (laughs) So 
um, you know, if those two play anywhere near their capabilities, as we saw the other night, we can beat anyone. That's the short answer. Uh, Adam Zampa, uh, I guess, is another key cog in that. Him being fully healthy, no back issues, no sickness, taking four wickets, that's also important. My concern, and maybe on the negative, is how bloody good India look. Mm. And Virat Kohli in particular, playing at home in this rich vein of form, uh, we saw last night up against New Zealand, that bowling unit followed up by Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli in the form that they're in. That's what concerns me. I, I think Australia on their best day can beat most teams. India in this form, in their own conditions, on their best day, no one goes close, I don't think. So I'm optimistic, but uh, we've certainly got some work to do. Does the pressure of it being a home World Cup add a bit more weight to India? The, they last won in 2011, I reckon it was. They've been knocked out in the semis in the two since. But you you just got that feel with Virat, don't you, that he's taking this personally. This he feel it. It's set up for, to be on him, and I think it's you know, no matter where he is with the rest of his career that this I think for him is a defining moment in it. Yeah, and to be honest, everything any cricket lover will have really thoroughly enjoyed watching Virat go about his work, uh, particularly in Australia against Australia. The steely determination, the ultra competitiveness that you see on his face, and you look at uh, and you mentioned playing at home and the the weight that that carries, you're thinking, you know, the Women's World Cup that we just saw with the Matildas, the whole nation is on the shoulders of this team. Mm. That's Virat's everyday life. Yes. <laughs> I'm being honest. You know, think of uh, both he and Sachin Tendulkar for the context. They need to be ushered into supermarkets in the middle of the night with security so that, and they specially open just for them so that they can get their shopping done in peace. Yeah, that's their everyday life. The significance of playing at home, for someone like Virat, I think he grows another leg. This is what he lives for. uh, And the the pressure is there every day for him. So it's it's going to be a huge challenge. And I'll tell you what, it's going to be thrilling to watch. Is there a weakness to India? Before we move back to Australia, is there a weakness? Uh, If I'm being honest, I think it's probably their middle order if Virat misses out. And, you know, Shreya Sayer and a few others in their middle order um, maybe haven't done things to the calibre that Virat Kohli and uh, numerous others have. KL Rahul's now established. But that's where I think our opening is. If we can get new ball wickets on the back of our quicks and let Adam Zampa go to work through that middle order, that's where our chance lies because I think their bowling unit is, you know, next level good. Um, and it's going to be... Tough to stop them otherwise. Question for you, Trent Copeland, which is how interviews go, I know, but I want to get your opinion here. Uh, Tim Payne believes that after that century from Dave Warner, I think he's got the top three one-day international scores for Australia in, uh, in, uh, in that format. Along with the T20s, is David Warner, because he is in Tim Payne's mind, the best Australian white ball batter of all time? I would say there is zero doubt that that is the case. Zero doubt. There you go. Yeah. And you know what? That that speaks to eras and the modern game. You know, a lot of the guys that you would class as the best ever in white ball cricket, you're talking your Michael Bevins of the world in terms of, uh, you know, how classy they were. Mm. Aaron Finch, numerous others. Um, Finchy, not so much. But the Bevan era, they just didn't get a chance to play 
T20 cricket. So when you're encompassing both of 50 over and T20 formats, Davey's numbers are incredible. And I think public perception maybe in the last couple of years on form has really dipped in the, the narrative around what he has done in his career. But in terms of how he is viewed around the world, what he has achieved and his record, mate, look at the numbers. In T20 cricket, it is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, in a world where not many strike at 150, and when you do strike at 150, averaging around the 40 mark or above in T20 cricket, just genuinely ridiculous numbers. So, I mean, hopefully we've struck gold with Davey hitting form at the right time and we can win a World Cup on the back of it. You know him better than most. He's a good mate of yours. Did you still think that he had that kind of innings in him? It felt like at the Boxing Day test that was his last big fight that he had in him and and maybe it was just going to come to a, a conclusion, maybe peter out. But that is as emphatic in innings. Did you still think he had that in him? To be honest, I don't ever doubt anything with Davey. You know, mm. on the back of that, Ashes, the first, you know, not the most recent one, but the one before that, where Stuart Broad had peppered him. He'd come home, you know, with a really disappointing Ashes to her by his own account. Um, walks into a Sheffield Shield game in Brisbane, and we're all thinking to ourselves, well, I wonder what Davey will be like or what Davey will turn up. Uh, it was nothing but belief. Different conditions, mate. I'm in Australia. There's no one getting me out here. You know, there, <laughs> there's this ability to distance himself from public perception and performance and just go out and be the bull. Yeah. So, you know, to his detriment at times, you know, there's been times where he hasn't aimed up. But watching him hit Harris Ralph, a little scoop over short fine leg that goes out of the stadium at 150 k's an hour the other night, I've got no doubt we might see another one of those before the end of the tournament. Hopefully in a World Cup final. That'd be nice. We play the Netherlands on Wednesday. It's Travis Head being selected. If you're Andrew McDonald, does he come in? I think he does if he's fit, yeah. The body of work that he's put in is far too good to ignore. And it'll be a tough decision, but I think Mitch Marsh is our number three in white ball cricket for the next five years, is, is my opinion. So it's not a, hey, Mitch, you've got to move to accommodate this. This was your long-term spot, but, hey, it's got to change. I think the long-term plan was number three for Mitch Marsh, and he's really well-suited to it uh, and going to do a bloody good job of it. So... Look, I think it's it's going to be a tough call on who they then leave out. Is it an all-rounder? Is it someone like Marnus, who has scored a few runs in the tournament, um, but wasn't in the original squad? So that's the decision that's there for the selectors. But I think you're going to see Warner, Head, Marsh as the top three. Well, he came in at seven, Marnus. So who makes way, Trent Copeland, if Travis Head's to come straight back in? Oh, yeah, that's a tough call. I think <laughs> it's going to be conditioned. Look, I'm, I'm not trying to sit on the fence, but genuinely, conditions-based, match-up-based selection, and it may be different each game. We may not have a best 11 that is just our best 11 regardless, um, which is a good problem to have at times, and you're really relying on people to be comfortable in their own skin and communication from guys like Ronnie McDonald and George Bailey being you know, top-notch to make people understand, buy in, move forward, and uh, ultimately yeah, win for Australia. WBBL you've been in action for is what happened with Grace Harris, not just the century that she scored, which is a record-breaking one for the Brisbane Heat in their win over the Scorchers, but the six with the broken bat, you were there, you saw it. I mean, that stacks up with any cricket highlight I've seen. (laughs) How did you take it all in? It went viral yesterday, and I was in the box with Andy Marr and Kirby Short at the time calling the game, and 
yeah, we were hearing on the stump mic and saw Grace gesture over to the sideline to a teammate. And you could hear over the stump mic, my bat's broken, I'm going to need another one. And then they were sort of looking around in the dugout with no answers. And she's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'll just do it at the end of the over. So if you haven't heard it or seen it, get online and, and seek out the clip because she ends up just saying, ah, oh, stuff it. I'll bat on, I've got a broken handle. I'll just, I'll hit it anyway. Next ball, would you believe it? She hit the six. The bat snaps in half. I could barely hit a six at the best of times with a good bat, let alone <laughs> with a broken one. So, Grace Harris, she's a beauty. And, you know, record-breaking innings yesterday. It's the start of the WBBL. We've seen some wild matches, some unbelievable finishes and record-breaking scores. The, the game just continues to progress. Yeah, couldn't have asked for a better start of the season. And great to hear you in commentary with Channel 7 as well. Trent, you're always so generous with your time, mate. We greatly appreciate you making yourself available again. And we'll look forward to chatting to you over the summer of cricket as it unfolds. Easy. Plenty of cricket to talk about. Go well. Absolutely. Trent Copeland from Channel 7, also 1170 SEN in Sydney. Australia's win over Pakistan. The weekend sporting celebration moment, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals uh, celebrating lives uh, on the table in the One International World Cup. Now, Australia up to fourth, which is where we need to be. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Get your calls in. Your thoughts on Australia's chances and their change of fortunes at the ODI World Cup. Your thoughts on Dave Warner. You heard from Tim Payne and Trent Copeland that he's our greatest white ball batter ever. It's time to unleash you at Kangan Institute. Enroll now. Kangan.edu.au. RTO 3077. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. But we haven't got time for that, Tim. Let's go to the next question. If David Warner keeps this current form up and helps Australia make a deep tournament run, where would he rank among Australia's all-time ODI batters? I would say, regardless of whether he keeps his current form up, he's at the top. Very top. I would say he is, what's that say, ODI batters. I would say he is the best white ball batter Australia's ever had. So that was Tim Payne on uh, SEN Tassie, believing that David Warner is our best white ball batter ever. I just spoke to Trent Copeland. He agrees. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. A couple of people saying, have you forgotten about Dean Jones? Absolutely. Would never, ever. Uh, be sacrilegious uh, to forget about Dean Jones. But I just was having a little look-see. Um, most runs in T20 internationals, Aaron Finch is number one, Dave Warner number two. So that's the T20 element to it. Um, he sits number seven all time on 6,625 in one day international, in one day internationals all time, but that's from 154 matches. So ahead of him, uh, just 300 runs ahead is Michael Bevan, 232. Steve Waugh, Michael Clark, Mark Waugh, Adam Gilchrist, and Ricky Ponting. So what Tim Payne's asking and saying is that with the combining the two, if you combine the two, then he is Australia's best ever white ball batter uh, across both of those disciplines. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. John's in the greatest part of Victoria, the heart of it, in Bendigo. Hello, Johnny. Good day, Sam. How are you, mate? Uh, good, thank you. Appreciate you asking. Uh, you want to talk Cricket World Cup? Yeah, so long time, first time. Um, and look, this call's probably a bit ill-timed after he was having a chat with Trent Copeland, but are we talking about the World Cup enough? Like, I don't mean that in relation to SEM, but, I mean, it's hardly a topic of general pub chat at the moment. Like, I feel like Clayton Oliver bending windscreen wipers has made more of the news than a, you know, a global cricket tournament that's held once every 
every four years. Like, is this the last World Cup? Or... That's a great point you make, John. And there was another John uh, on SEN earlier today, John Buchanan, our former cricket coach. And I'm going to play it after the news, what he thought the future of one-day internationals are, because it's a great question you ask, not just for World Cups, but for one-day internationals overall. Um, is it getting the cut through at the moment that it should be, given the status of the tournament, and does it hold the status that it once did? Uh, I have grave concerns about the future of one-day internationals. Uh, there's a lot of cricket that happens at the moment. A lot of it's irrelevant. A lot of it leads to nothing. But this is actually something, and is it getting the cut through that it should be? It's a, it's a really good question you asked, John, and I don't know if I've got the answer. What's your take? Yeah, I, I honestly think it is. Like I've been thoroughly enjoying sitting down and watching the World Cup, but I've got no interest to watch a 50-over you know, normal, normal game. Um, it's just that it's a World Cup that sparked my interest. Um, I don't think it's got a future. Yeah, it's 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 a die, and that would be very very sad. But something has to give. It's a good point you put on the agenda. Raising Bayswater. G'day, Ray. Hi, Sam. G'day. Uh, thanks very much for taking my call. No, thanks for holding. As as a Melbourne supporter for over seventy years. I'd like to thank you for your measured response to the current problems that have surfaced at Melbourne. Rather than the ravenous appetite to fill the airwaves in column inches, we need a few more people to take that kind of line. I think Melbourne are doing the right thing by circling the wagons and putting their general up front in Max Corner to try and put a reasonable basis on what's happening with Clayton. Not so much with Joel. That's just, I don't know. It's, that'll play out. Uh, that'll that'll play out over uh, the due course uh, from, from that positive test. Ray, thank you for your call and, and for your kind words. Uh, I really appreciate it. I, I just started to think after we played from Jack Rewalt, there's a, you know, it might sound like I'm a sap, but uh, the Billy Withers song, Lean On Me, or maybe Cindy Lauper, time after time, if you fall, I will catch you. Um, I think that seems to be the line from Melbourne, that we're going to get our arms around these guys. And as Jack Rewalt says, your culture really is determined by how you handle these moments, not so much that these moments uh, occur. And there'll be some that argue with that, but I thought it was just an interesting take that he had for when Richmond went through some of those issues. I think it's an essential format, you know, because, again, the world's going to play a lot more T20 cricket. There's no doubt about that with all the leagues around the world. And so at an international level, I think there needs to be a transition format for moving from the very short game, T20, and we see hundreds in England and sometimes T10s and so on. So um, I think there needs to be a transition format of which the uh, the one-day game is that, uh, meaning that players play longer cricket. Uh, I was just listening to a couple of commentators last night and they were sort of talking about the fact that uh, a lot of the top order batsmen no longer no longer bowl, mm. and that's really because um, you know that's that's uh, they don't uh, they bat in the nets uh, and then they they go away and do other things and let the bowlers bowl. Uh, so I think what the ODI game does is, is enable you to make that transition. It means you put fieldsmen in, you know, you actually have slips fieldsmen, you actually have can actually have short leg fieldsmen, and and bowlers have to bowl longer spells. So and when you look to junior cricket. All junior cricket, you know, starts at probably 10 overs and maybe moves to 15 to 20. And then by the time uh, young boys and girls are probably playing first 11 cricket, they're playing 50 over games. So, 
So the game is there, um, and I, I think um, women's cricket is is probably the, the example. Women's mm. cricket have got it about right in terms of format because they will play a series where you play a you know a test match or two, you play some one days and you play some T Twenty games, and they all culminate in a in a series win or a loss. You know, so I think um, there needs to be a rethink by the ICC and certainly other countries around how. The schedule's shaped, um, but I do think ODI cricket's still pretty essential. That was former Aussie cricket coach John Buchanan uh, speaking on SEN Breakfast earlier today, and I thought I'd play that to you after John from Bendigo put the question on the agenda, what's the place of one-day international cricket? Uh, Is anybody watching the one-day international World Cup? Is it getting the cut through it needs? So John Buchanan speaking there about where he thinks the place of ODIs is and him wanting to see that the men's actually follow the same format as the women's where they have a series against a country that encompasses all three disciplines of cricket. Would you like to see that? There's a lot of cricket. A lot of it leads to nothing. A lot of it counts to nothing. And with the growing leagues of T20 cricket all around the world, something has to give. And where does it give? And what does One Day International mean? And where does it sit uh, in the scheme of all things cricket? Would you like to see an Ashes decided not just from the test, but from one day as T20s? I like the idea of aligning the way that the women's cricket does. But your thoughts, one 736 the place of one-day international cricket. Peter from Doreen, before we get to a quick break. G'day, Pete. Uh, Sam, how are you? Very well, um, thanks. I think you've got to take into account, there's a couple of things. I want one on golf and also um, the rope. They brought the rope in. They've got the power plays. Like, you go back, when did they bring that in? Ten years ago? Like, all the scores now and the batsmen are making a lot of runs because the rope is brought in. You've got the power plays, two power plays in a 50-over game, which is going to help the batsmen because you can't have the fielders outside, you know, that ring um, in that. So that's really going to inflate um, Warney's scores and averages compared to when probably Ponting and that were playing. Mm. And the last thing I, I'd have to say, Moo Lee, and Minji Lee, the brother and sister golfers, yes. they would have to be the best golf brother and sister combination ever, I think. I don't think, I can't recall of any brother, sister being professional golfers. And the Austra- Australia should be proud of it because Minji won uh, BMW and I think Mi yep. Wu won the Mackay one and he, he shot 30 under. Yeah, he did. That was he had a win in Macau and then backed it up this week uh, with uh, a tied for sixth finish at the Zozo. Uh, great call from you, Pete. They are doing extraordinary things, uh, the Wu Lee family, and we should be celebrating it. And your thoughts too on is Dave Warner the best combined white ball cricketer that Australia, a white ball batter that Australia has produced? West Wind blows at the 200 without a fight, runs on, lays in on top of Gold Trip. West Wind blows 100 to go without a fight, coming at it without a fight. Thanks to Channel 7, the GOAT, Matty Hill. Another phenomenal call from him without a fight winning the Caulfield Cup. And what a Caulfield Cup it was. And I couldn't think of anyone better to have a chat to about it for Emma Cafe Coffee Catch-Up. Wake up to a winning brekkie with a Monopoly game at Macca's. It ends on the 24th, which is tomorrow. The Monopoly game at Macca's. Fitzmagic himself, Miles Fitzner. Hello, my friend. Hello, Sammy. Hello to the uh, SEN family. Um, magnificent edition of the Caulfield Cup. Drama rarely. Sort of ding-dong battle. Speed yeah. map played out like it should on paper. Horses going flat out. Uh, gun horses, three back defence, needing good steers to get out. It had it all. It had it all. 
So the drama beforehand was great because it was will they or won't they pull Gold Troop out depending on what happens with the track. And that kept us guessing right up until, you know, before the jump. And then Mark Zara. And, and the decision he had to make. And, geez, it, it was teed up brilliantly, wasn't it? It certainly was. Zara had to make the decision because they weren't sure if they were going to go there with Gold Trip. Um, and then even on the day, they weren't sure if Gold Trip was going to go around. Um, I think they probably always knew they were going to run the horse. I mm. mean, they've got a fair indication of how those tracks are going to be, and they'll be walking them themselves. They're the, they're the biggest operation in the world, the May Eustace team, and, and one of the smartest. So... They would have known a long way out, but a bit of intrigue. I saw the foxing from Mark Zara when after he rode Brave Meat in the first and Nigel Carmody, the great Nigel Carmody, asked him, what do you rate the track? He said, good three, you know, <laughs> foxing nice and early. So, uh, it, what, it, what, The performance of Without a Fight, though, um, and, and the great story with the Freemans, with, for Anthony and Sam, they're at the helm now of, you know, this dynasty in racing. It's a massive moment for them, but the performance from the horse and jockey was great, and the finish was electric. Yeah, the finish was electric. It was a good steer by Mark and an even probably better steer by Jamie Spencer. I know he had his critics too, and we'll probably get to that shortly. But without a fight, I think when after that Queensland carnival, he sort of that's when everyone went, right, this is probably either, and a lot of people did, either have a futures ticket on without a fight or on a Melbourne Cup or a Caulfield Cup. I was probably leading to him maybe towards more of a Melbourne Cup style of horse rather than a Caulfield Cup style of horse. Tom Haylock had him as a Cox Plate pin type horse, which he'd mentioned on Giddy Up in June. So he was around the mark. I think the trifecta was probably easy enough to find. Um, uh, but uh, nice horse, uh, nice, nice horse. And once again, all, all these, you only got to look down. Without a fight, Irish, West Wind Blows, Irish, Gold Trip, French, Boyd d'Argent, um, British, Valent King, British, Sulcan, British, Breakup, Japanese, Duke de Sessa, Irish, United Nations, Irish, Huya Mal, British, and Akita Sushi, Irish. So other than right you are in the top 12 is the only one. Who do you have on top going in? West Wind Blows, heavily yep. each way invested yep. um, and considerably invested. I had a futures ticket on Duke de Sessa, but like I said before the race, he needs to cut out like Duke's a, a genuine, probably soft to wet tracker. Um, but uh, the trifecta was easy enough, um, and that went up. Um, Boy, the Argent's the one that I think just maybe keep an eye on moving forward um, because it was an enormous run at 100 to 1 running fourth. Fitzmagic, if uh, Mark Zara rings you up and says, uh, Fitzmagic, listen, I've got a big call here for Melbourne Cup. I don't know whether I'm staying on without a fight or should I go back to Gold Trip. We've won the Turnbull and... Uh, it's been a really nice run. Two group ones on Gold Trip now. What's your advice? To, what should Mark Zara do? Well, to me, it's a no-brainer. You take what you know, and what you know is that Gold Trip can win a Melbourne Cup, and so you stick with a horse that you know can win a Melbourne Cup. Now, 3,200 um, is not every horse's cup of tea, and if you know that you're on a horse that you can win a Melbourne Cup and do it in the fashion that it did last year, even though you're going to probably carry more weight um, and, and you need the luck, uh, you stick with the horse that you've done it before. You, and that's... I don't know, uh, and it's only my opinion, but I, I think if he went to without a fight, watch the market come for it. Like, because he's then saying, essentially, this is my better chance. Um, but he'd ride Gold Trip even if he thought without a fight might just be enough because mm. he'd still be the guesser at that 3,200 for without a fight. Hey, Cox Plate on Saturday, um, one of the best, if not the best race that we, we get to see from a, a talent in, in from a horse perspective wise. Have you, have you, do you know where you're going? 
Uh, yes, kind of. I've still got Romantic Warrior on top. I was I was a light infantryman fan, um, and now he's out. Yeah. Um, I, I think Romantic Warrior, I haven't fully completed the speed maps yet, and only because we're seeing our other horses run into the week. You can't mm. go too far ahead. There's two that you want to keep an eye on at value, Victoria Road and Militarised. Depending on how that speed map comes out, Militarised is going to be down in the weights, of course. I'm happy to risk a few others. I'm happy to risk Brightside, Fangirl, um, happy to risk the party, do I think it over, all those that are in the market, who you mail. I think you're probably, your roughie's probably King Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to be shopping two or three um, of King Colorado, Militarise, and depending on the speed map for Victoria Road, but with Romantic Warrior in Rovers. So it's a really tough one. It's one of the hardest races to get right, the Cox Plate. Cox Plate and Melbourne Cups have just bought a line impossible. And from a money-making, from a genuine money-making punting perspective, You'll find that you don't get too many of the pros step into these races because yeah. everything has to go right. Romantic Warrior, three group ones, Alligator Blood, seven. Gold Trip's got two now and some top threes. Mr. Brightside, as we know, three in a row. Um, you can't run the 2,000. It's, it's, it's just chock full of talent. Hey, was Sunday the most successful day you've had on SEN track? And I know uh, if it was, even if it wasn't, it would have meant a fair bit more because there was something very special to your heart. Yeah, there was. Well. It was my first Sunday back, obviously, since my mother had died. Um, and she... She did die suddenly, even though she was unwell. It happened pretty quickly. But mm. um, she, she was a, sort of probably the biggest advocate of me actually even doing the Sundays and radio and reading texts and whatnot. And um, she'd done a lot of charity work her entire life uh, and worked in women's health and with, with nurse, nursing organisations. So once she passed, there'd been a scholarship set up to train nurses in Ethiopia um, under her name. So I said yesterday that we were going to tip for her and if we could win some money – um, to tip some in the in the coffers and um, the Louise Fitz and the nursing scholarship went from um, yeah thirteen thousand to close enough to twenty six thousand yesterday, so we doubled it in the day. But it, it would have been a top three, top five for David Taggart and I quite comfortably, quite comfortably. But we lost one best bet, went under, multiple double figure winners. Then Mitch Bayer took it on after that. He landed a two hundred and forty dollar multi, a hundred and forty dollar quaddy into seven thousand. So as far as SEN track goes from a tipping perspective, from 12pm until 10pm, I mean, I've just read a text message out on SEN track before, and I took a photo of it to bring it down here to share. Um, Tom from Sunshine turned 50 into 4,000 yesterday. Um, another one, um, I took Miles, your best and Mick's best in a Canadian. I spent $26. I pulled 1700 out yesterday. So it was... <laughs> It was an all-timer, yep. um, and it was just good to do it on that day. And to everyone um, that uh, that donated um, to Mum's scholarship and the GoFundMe page that was up on my Twitter, which is still up there, um, to train nurses, um, I'm very, very humbled. I do apologise. I didn't realise we were on 11.16 yesterday. Um, and so I did belt out uh, two choruses and a few bars of Celine Dion and maybe a couple <laughs> of other songs. So I think any levels of seriousness that I had... On the eleven sixteen stage, yes. probably gone it completely out. They would have thought this bloke is stark raving mad. Um, but uh, oh, we had fun doing mate. it. It was for a good cause, and you donated Absolutely. too, uh, which I did see. And, least um, I do, mate. and to the staff here, everyone's been excellent. So thanks to everyone. Uh, we love you, and we're here for you, and we're feeling with you, and we're, we're doing it with you together, uh, mate. Thank you. No, thank you very much. Thanks to the listeners, and uh, I better go back upstairs and get on track and find a few more winners. Nicely done, Cam Luke, Miles Fitzner. What's gambling really costing you for free and confidential support? Visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. There it is, Machine Gun Midday Madness time. Rapid fire. You call, you get on, you get in, you get out. Here we go. Mark in. No, Nick in Hopper's Crossing. Far away, Nick. Hi, Sam. Good to hear you back on again. 
I've got two quick points. Ricky Ponting is the best, best player of all the forms. And Melbourne did have the culture, but now they haven't because of the Brody Grundy story, and that's damaged. Melbourne's got no culture at all. Nick, thank you. Peter in Primby. Hello, mate. Yeah, mate. I reckon um, if we're playing minnow um, countries in uh, cricket, maybe have uh, one test, 150, and a couple of 2020s. There we go. The future of one-day international cricket, where it sits and how we should roll out our summer series. John in Lilydale. G'day, John. G'day, Sam. It's impossible to get excited about one-day cricket. Its peak in popularity was probably in the late 1980s. People who like a longer format of the longer format of the game will always watch Test cricket over that. And people who like Test cricket also like 2020. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Machine Gun Midday Madness. It's rapid fire. You call, you get on. We get in, we get out. Mark's in Adelaide. G'day, Mark. Oh yeah. First one day I ever watched was uh, nineteen seventy five. Um, Pants had a card night, watched that. Followed uh, one day as in test cricket. Been many years, been to many brilliant matches. But the T20, nah, I wouldn't even watch it for 10 minutes. So where does one day, where do one day internationals sit? Where should they sit in the schedule, given how much uh, 2020 leagues are cropping up around the world, Mark? Uh, how our summer should look? Uh, John Buchanan said that the women... Uh, have a great format in the way that they play, uh, whether it be a test, maybe it should be a couple of tests, a couple of one days and a couple of T20s against whatever country comes out. How should it all roll out to you? That's probably not a bad way to go. Because um, I, I remember gr- growing up with one day, sitting, you'd get a day nighter and you'd come home and you'd like see Michael Bevan, dear Australia, to a, yes, a win in a 50-50. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that's not a bad idea what John's saying. Mark, appreciate your call. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 You can call any time. Midday Madness, the promise still lives on, even when Dwayne has a week off. Uh, for Kangan Institute, unleash you at Kangan Institute and roll now. You can call one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 That's on the Werribee Care Open Line, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Care makes buying cars easy. There's a ton of texts that have come through, and I'm going to do my best to get through as many as I can over the next hour on the 40 Winks Temper Text, 0433 for the all-new Temper Pro. Temper's most adaptive mattress ever is here. Temper, a mattress like no other. Boyd getting through. Stringer. That's a better kick. Oh, Mills couldn't quite. Tap, 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 tap. McLean hooking. Oh, yes. That is the cream on what has been a beautiful first half cake. McLean will kick virtually on the siren. He misses. But they don't miss out. Their day, their year, their joy. Just on a hunch, I reckon that might be the seminal moment, the highlight moment in the 102-game career of a now delisted premiership bulldog and one of their favourite sons in Toby McLean. Uh, He just recently got let go by the Western Bulldogs, and he's been good enough to jump on Dwayne's World today. Sam Hargrave's filling in for Dwayne if you've just joined us. Toby, mate, thank you so much for for being on the show and for having a chat to us. No worries, Sam. Thanks for having me, mate. Am I right? Is that the the moment? The moment. For you? you, you, Your highlight moment? Uh, Yeah, it definitely has to be up there. I was in my second year of AFL football, and to be part of something like that, um, yeah, it's definitely hard to beat, that's for sure. 
Mate, the decision of the club not to offer you a contract for 2024, did it come as a surprise to you? Um, no, nah, not really. Like, um, it sort of left it to the end of the year. And, um, although I thought I was playing some really good footy in the VFL, it was sort of, um, inevitable that, um, that sort of decision was coming. So when it actually, uh, came to it, yeah, it wasn't overly, uh, surprising. So, um, yeah, unfortunate for it to happen, but yeah, on to bigger and better things. You played the six games this season. Were you sort of aware as the season unfolded that you weren't maybe going to be, the next man up had that been communicated to you or were you still very much in the fight for a spot week in week out um well i had some back sort of a back injury throughout the year as well which i was sort of fighting through so um i was sort of able to overcome that and have a good back half of the year and um i thought every week i was put my hand up uh, i thought i was performing quite well and um yeah we sort of got a great midfield in our afl side so it was always going to be hard to to break through and um, take one of those guys' spots. Um, so, yeah, I sort of um, knew that was the case, you could say. You faced a bit of adversity, didn't you, with, throughout your career, those two ACLs across three seasons. Returning to the side finally in that 2022 elimination final, the injuries you faced, how do you look back on them now and what you had to go through to get past them and to get back out there? Um, yeah, it was looking back, it was quite a difficult time for me who... Uh, Someone like me, I haven't really gone through um, any sort of major injuries in my career. So um, to have an injury that was sort of nine to 12 months time, it, it, it does take a, a toll, especially mentally, but it does physically wear you down as well. So um, yeah, first one, no good. And then they say the second one's easier, but I tell you, I tell you right now, it's definitely not good. <laughs> I don't recommend doing two ACLs to anyone. It's, um, yeah, it's not a great place to be. That's good um, advice for all the kids uh, listening <laughs> at the moment, mate. But, but yeah. how, how how dark did it get for you when, when that second one occurred? Um, yeah, look, I had some hiccups along the way in the second one. I, I sort of um, – they take a, a graft out of your hamstring to repair your knee. So um, I actually uh, tweaked that a few times during rehab as well. So, um, yeah, it was tough and I was sort of – lucky but not lucky enough to have Josh Bruce alongside me for the second one um, so we could sort of complain and moan moan together through our rehab time so in that aspect it was a bit easier but to go through so many setbacks during it um, yeah it was yeah it was quite tough. So what did it mean to get back after two and three years and finally get to 100 games because when you started out your career I think it was two games in your first year you, you played 14 in the premiership year including uh, getting that medallion and you're probably thinking at that point, yeah, no, this is this is just how my career is going to go. But then you hit that ultimate hurdle and two of them to get back and get to 100 games. How big? Uh, yeah, um, you, you sort of you have some thoughts go go through your head um, during the time where you're injured, where you sort of think to yourself, am I am I still good enough to sort of play at the level? Uh, am I going to make it to those sort of big milestones? And um, you definitely doubt yourself, but. I sort of I was lucky enough to come back and play an AFL game in that final and sort of remind myself that I, I still had what it took at the level and um, for me to sort of just scrape through to 100 games. Um, no, I'm I'm very grateful to to achieve that and um, yeah, I'm very proud of what I've achieved in my career. I've uh, I've been quite lucky. So um, yeah. We're speaking to Premiership Bulldog Toby McLean. Unfortunately, not offered a contract in 2024 with the Western Bulldogs, but let, let's just go back to 2016. 
Toby, because everything that was building up to that, the drought for the Western Bulldogs, only the one premiership, as we know, heading into that. The, the day itself, you have 18 disposals, you kick a goal. So personally, you know, you've played well. The team gets the win. What does it mean to you to be a part of the history and uh, history that was such a long time coming for that club, uh, but also from a personal point of view to perform in the manner that you did? Yeah, um, yeah it, does, it does mean quite a bit. As you see uh, sort of... Um, coming across so many Bulldog supporters over my time, um, not only it means so much to me, it means so much more to them being through all the heartache um, with prelim losses and um, sort of just missing out and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, and again, I was I was lucky enough to play in that grand final as well because um, people um, sort of forget that I didn't play in the first final up in Perth. So um, I sort of was lucky enough to come come into the side through injury and then, um, sort of performed well enough to sort of keep my spot and um, yeah, as, as you said, do do my bit on grand final day and um, yeah, so grateful to be a part of that uh, that premiership winning side. We played in the audio the shot sort of as the siren was going, so I've never heard a bigger roar for a behind. Uh, I know that. Yeah. Do you what? Do you remember that moment quite vividly, having the shot, the siren standing, you miss, but as Dennis said, you don't miss out. <laughs> Yeah, I do. No, I get reminded of it, reminded of it quite a bit that I, <laughs> I kicked the last point and it should have been a goal and people had me for two goals plus in their multis. Oh, yeah, don't worry about that. <laughs> um, no, if I had just waited for a bit longer um, for the sign to go, I, should have, I could have been able to hold the ball up and really make the most of that moment. But, um, yeah, it didn't really matter in the end. So, um, yeah, we move on. But, yeah, got the last kick in the grand final. So that was uh, that's a pretty nice touch. You did, and and that was in your second season. So, you know, how does a flag at that point shape you as a as a person? Second season, you're still learning pr- probably how to be a footballer at that point. Then all of a sudden, you're the best team in the competition despite finishing seventh. You've got a premiership medal around your neck, and you think, well, the world's our oyster here. And when you look back on that now, knowing what unfolded after – how does that sort of sit with you? And, and, and what would your advice be to someone if they do experience that success at a very early stage of their career? Yeah. Yeah. Having been my second year, you sort of think like, oh, this stuff just happens all the time. But um, looking back, it's, um, oh, yeah, it obviously doesn't. We were able to make the grand final again in 2021, but obviously didn't get the success there. But um, even Josh Dunkley in his first year of football winning a grand final, it doesn't get any better than that. So, no, I had a good chat with um, Paddy Lipinski leading up to the grand final this year and I sort of just told him that um, just to savour every moment and mm. just try and take as much in as you can because, yeah, as you said, it doesn't come around so often. Um, you could only, you, This could be the last time you're sort of experiencing something like that. So, um, yeah, I was very lucky to have that in my second year and, um, yeah, obviously didn't see, see any of that again. So um, looking back, I probably didn't think that I took enough in because um, as time goes by, memories fade and that sort of thing. But I think I've got enough sort of footage and um, moments in my camera roll to look back on. And mm. um, yeah, it sort of makes you smile looking back on things like that. So Toby, let's look to what's next. Do you feel like you've got more to give from a football term? 27 years of age. Is is this just another chapter about to be written in your AFL journey? Do you want to go on with another club? Yeah, yeah. Look, I'd I'd love to continue my AFL career. Um, as you said, I'm only 27 years old, so I, I'm still I still feel quite young, and um, yeah, I think I do have 
plenty left to give. So um, I felt like I had a great uh, end to my season in the VFL, um, performing quite well, I thought, every week. And even as a side, we were um, quite dominant as well. So I was able to finish the year in the AFL team and get a win against Geelong and um, thought I contributed in that game. So, um, yeah, I still definitely feel like I've got what it takes to play at AFL level and, yeah, hoping that something pops up. But, yeah, um, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. So, so take us through those chats. Uh, I mean, if you are sitting down with a club and they say, "Righto, uh, Toby, what have you? What can you? What can you do for us? What can you bring to us?" <laughs> um, well, to, to be honest with you, I haven't had any of those chats yet. Hopefully, they come up. But um, well, we're uh, rehearsing. We're practicing here for when it comes. Yeah. Um, no, I just I think I've got a lot of versatility in my game. Like I can, I'm obviously uh, quite established as a midfielder, but um, I've played a lot of time forward. Mm. A lot of time on the wing and, um, yeah, sort of wherever you need me, I can I can sort of fill any position that you want me to. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that's all, all I've got for you, really. But, but I also think, too, and that the fact that you've experienced the ultimate and you know what it takes to, to reach the top of the mountain, that's worth its weight in gold for, to, to go to yeah. any club, whether they're at the pointy end or not, but to have another player who's experienced things at the highest level and experienced what everything, what this is all about. At the end of the day, it is all about being up on that days, getting the photo, getting the medal and holding up that cup uh, on the last Saturday in September. And you bring that to the table. So that has to be worth something. And I'm sure it will be for any club um, that, that is looking at you. And I'm sure there's going to be some, and hopefully there is going to be some, if it's not footy, What's what would be the career path? I, I'm told that you've been training and are now a qualified barber. So just give your business a bit uh, of a plug and let us know that if it's not footy, this is what it will be. Yeah, no, look, I've, I have finished my certificate three in um, in barbering. I, I finished that earlier this year, but um, I don't have a business as of yet. But I've just got the Instagram Instagram page to buy trim. So if you want to give that a follow, <laughs> feel free to. Um, but look, barbering isn't something that I think I want to do full time. Um, I, I think it's something that's more of a part time gig because um, I'm sort of quite interested in um, the player development and welfare space um, at the moment. So I've sort of enrolled in a few courses where I'm, uh, I think, in sort of the middle of November, where it's a uh, cert for mental health and um, a player development and welfare course uh, just through the PA, I think. So. Um, I'd love to sort of continue in that space and just, yeah, looking forward to see what opportunities pop up um, with that. So at um, Tobias, yeah, wait and see. at Tobias underscore trims on Instagram is, is the account. So give that a follow. Hey, let's talk quickly about the Bulldogs before we let you go. There's been a lot of talk yeah. around, have they maximized the list that they've had and, 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 and have they underachieved from 2016 to now and given all the talent that's at their disposal and the direction of the club, People have questioned, is Luke Beveridge still the man to take them forward? When you hear those kind of conversations, what's your feel on it? Where are the dogs at now that you've been able to step away? Where are they going? Are they on the right track? Is Bevo the man? <laughs> uh, it's a good question. Um, no, I definitely think we've got the list, as, as everyone else does, um, and especially with uh, Marcus Bontempelli as captain to lead the team forward, I think um, they'll definitely be up again in that sort of top eight region. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. We've obviously got uh, a lot of big key forwards, um, some great mids, and I just think um, we just need to put it all together for them to uh, sort of get going. So we'll just have to wait and see. I think they've got a few new coaches that they've uh, hired this year. So 
hopefully they can help them out and um, yeah, can take them forward. So you just have to wait and see. Is it is it easy to put your finger on where you think that you weren't able to hit the mark this year as a team, or is it more than just one thing? It's a collection of different little things. If you could point to one area to say, look, if we get that right, then there's no stopping. There's no stopping the dogs next year. Um, yeah, it's probably a collection of, of little things. You sort of look back to that game uh, in Ballarat against GWS where they were able to just um, sort of dominate, and I think Toby Green led the way there. But um, we just found it very hard to stop their momentum. Um, so I just think it's those little things where um, can slow the game down and um, put the game put the game on the dog's terms. Um, I think, yeah, it's just those little fixes and I think they'll be right next year. Like, don't, yeah, you won't, they won't have anything to worry about. And just last one, Aaron Norton, forward or back? <laughs> <laughs> I think as long as Bevo's coach, uh, it'll be forward. <laughs> <laughs> Very diplomatically answered, my friend. Hey, before I let you go, I want to read you a couple of things. Um, hopefully your footy journey is, is not finished here and, and there's another chapter to be written at another club. But I just wanted to leave you with a couple of texts that have come through um, off our 40 Winks temper text. Toby McLean will always be a Bulldog Premiership legend. That's from Joe. From Blair. Hi, Sam. Please thank Toby for giving us one of the best moments of our lives as doggy supporters. We love the way you played your footy, and it's so sad to see you leave. All the best for the future, mate. I hope you get another crack at it. You deserve it more than most. And a big love heart. That's from Blair in Thornbury. That's just a couple, mate, of the tons that have come through. Oh, that's very nice. I appreciate those kind words. That's um, yeah, that's awesome. Definitely feeling the love. Well, as you should, mate. You've earned every ounce of it, um, mate. Good luck with what's to come. Good luck with uh, Tobias Trims. We'll give that a follow on Instagram, and hopefully next time we chat, we're chatting to you about um, your new club and your new team as either a player or, as you say, in the development space as well. Any club would be lucky to have you. Good luck with it all. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. I appreciate it. Toby McLean, uh, 2016 Western Bulldogs Premiership player, still with plenty more to give. And it is delisted free agency period. So will there be another Oleg Markov type story? I know he came in the preseason, but he was a delisted free agent at the end of last year. Could that story be a Toby McLean story next year? We'll have to wait and see. Lost in the wash time for rjsanderson.com.au. RJ Sanderson and Associates are accountants and taxation specialists. Take the stress out of tax. This is where you let me know what we've lost. What haven't we got to today in the world of sport that we should have so that we don't let it get lost in the wash? So one 736 736 on the Werribee Kia open line. Or you can text in on the 40 Winks temper text 0433981116. Andrew said, can you just take us over how you pronounce the word dais again? Did I say days? I reckon I might have said days. But you're right, Andrew. Dais, thank you very much. Have I got that right? That sounded about right, didn't it? Uh, Marty in Melbourne, by the way, wants to speak about Toby McLean, who we just had the pleasure of chatting to you. What a great bloke he is. And, and fingers crossed that he finds uh, another home at the highest level. Marty, hello. Yeah, mate. How are you going, Sammy? Good, thank you. Yeah, not that you know, I don't speak to you that often, but the rest of your uh, cohorts in there know that I'm a big Collingwood boy, and Toby wouldn't fit into us, but what you said, mate, he's an experienced finals player, he's proven on the grand final day, and you cannot tell me, with all the tools that Melbourne have got playing for them, and their full line hassles, and Brisbane losing Gunston, 
that one of those two knucklehead clubs should be jumping on him straight away, mate. Seriously. He's ready-made. Yeah, I mean, even uh, a team like Richmond, who could use a, a pressure forward. I mean, he's he's very, very good at that role. I mean, as a, as a lock-in forward player who's got a, a, a nose to kick a snag and also can roll through the middle, uh, yeah, he's definitely got a few strings to his bow. So uh, I think you're right, too. I think there's a few clubs that would, would go, absolutely, that's what we're all about. And the way in which he goes about it, his work ethic, coming back from those two ACLs in the manner that he did, yeah, there's a lot of positives that he can bring to a footy club. I think you're spot on there, Marty, and I appreciate your call. Uh, John's in Port Augusta. John, what's been lost in the wash? Yes, hi there. Um, I still love my Shield cricket. Absolutely. I like to hear about the young blokes coming through, the potential got a bag of green coming and whatever else. And um, as a cricket lover, you can watch most forms of the game, except 2020. I don't get into 2020 at all. Do not get into it at all. The World Cup. It's got its place every four years, but I think. Mm. But my first love, even more than Aussie rules football, I love Aussie rules football, AFL. My first sporting love is Test and Super Shield cricket, mate. Yep. Real uh, cricket. John, what do you what do you think of the Sheffield Shield commentary? By the way, I, I've done a, a day or two here and there when uh, fathering uh, permits. Uh, we're going all right in the commentary. For sure, no, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Thank you, mate. Well, uh, Sheffield Shield continue, and it's great. I'll tell you what, it's great this year, John, that with the delayed start to the Test summer, we actually get a really good block of, of Sheffield Shield cricket in, and you can uh, watch it all at cricket.com.au, at KO app as well. But uh, once the Test rolls around, of course, you'll have it locked in on SEN. Jared Waitley, the skipper, and a very good team that's assembled each and every year. Well run, too, uh, by our man Mitch. Uh, just a stupendous job. Uh, Sheffield Shield starts um, a little later this week. On Thursday, Tassie and Queensland, then Victoria, New South Wales, um, South Australia and Western Australia as well. Uh, the current table stands Tassie on top, uh, one from two. And they're just ahead of South Australia by one point in the new point system. Western Australia, the reigning champs uh, in third. Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria, uh, zip and two from their first two games of the year. So they need to bounce back against New South Wales in fifth. A couple of other things that have been lost in the wash. Reese Matheson, another player who I was a little surprised got delisted, um, has been integral to helping Brisbane turn around where things were fraught, where things were in 2016 to where they are now. And he spoke on SEN Breakfast earlier this morning. It was a great chat. SEN.com.au to hear it all. He spoke about what they basically agreed to do to try and get their club up um, and and back up the ladder and the way in which they wanted to do it, the culture which they wanted to create, the work ethic that they wanted to instill and how that all came about. But he also spoke about what his role was on match day. He's often been a bit misunderstood, Reese Matheson. He is a ripping bloke if you've ever had the chance and the pleasure to have a chat to him. But when he called himself the barometer, I think people misunderstood what he meant by that. And he was able to explain that a little more on SEN Breakfast this morning with Kane and Sam. I feel like that was my role for the boys on game day was my energy and um, the the way I, I attacked the funny. So for me, I guess that's the way how I became an AFL football player and um, how, I, how I got to punch out a few games of the Lions was with that sort of attitude and um, style of game. So... Um, yeah, that's that's just the way I went about it. 
So there you go. That wasn't about that he was the barometer for their success and that his form was their form. It was more about the attitude that he brought, the energy that he brought, and and how that played its part in getting them up and about on game day and the way in which he attacked it out on the ground. So if you haven't heard the full chat, sen.com.au. So a couple of things there that have been lost in the wash. And if you wanted to have a nomination, you could get a double pass to the Melbourne Victory home opener. So one 736 736 We can text in 0433-98-1116. And not forgetting the big game tomorrow morning for Ange Postacoglu with Tottenham playing Fulham. That's come through from Joe from Northside as well. And the Texans uh, beat Houston. Uh, Texas beat Houston 9-2 in the ALCS game 6, forcing a game 7. Thank you for those that have come through for Lost in the Wash. one 736 Midday Madness Promise still lives without Dwayne being here. He doesn't need to be in attendance anymore uh, for that institution to go on. Uh, but don't worry, he's only away for a week. one 736 736 the Werribee Kia open line. Werribee Kia awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. You can text in 0433 uh, The all-new Temper Pro, Temper's most adaptive mattress ever is here. Temper, a mattress like no other. So keep your Lost in the Wash nominations coming through. And I'm really glad that our next guest is here too to continue on Lost in the Wash. It was a really big weekend of motorsport. And if you're not listening 8 p.m. every Sunday on SEN to Gridwalk, then you just can't consider yourself a proper motorsport fan because Gridwalk, hosted by Cameron van der Dungen, is uh, your one-stop shop. It is your pit stop for all things motorsport, and Cameron's been good enough to jump on. Cam, hello, mate. I'm good, Sam. How are you going, mate? Very well. Um, let's start with the, the drama around the Formula One in the U.S. this morning. Yep. Max Verstappen winning his uh, 50th race um, but that wasn't where the real drama lay at the end of proceedings. No, it didn't. I thought there was a bit of drama with all the, you know, the brake issues. There were tyre mm. issues, and I did, a, I did a, a chat with Breakfast in Queensland, and everything was fine. And then I went back to my computer, and all of a sudden, Lewis Hamilton, he's out. Charles Leclerc, they're out because they've infringed on a on a skid pad, which has worn too far, and they're out of the results. And Lando Norris now pops up into second on the uh, on the podium. So it's all happening over there at Circuit of the Americas. Did Lando Norris get uh, – so he wasn't disqualified. The clerk was. So that gave yep. Lando um, the, the second placing. So what does that do in the context of, of the season itself, Cam? So from a championship point of view, there's only one major change, and that's that Lando jumps over the top of Charles Leclerc as a result of that. But one of the big ones, one of the big stories that's happened uh, is something we haven't seen since 1993. And Logan Sargent, as a result of the two disqualifications from the results – he gets his first point of the season. He's a young American driver. He's a rookie driver that was racing against Oscar Piastri all the way through the junior ranks. Mm. And he brings home America's first Formula One point since 1993. And he did it in America. So well done to that young man. Mixed fortunes for the Aussies, Cam. Um, it just didn't quite go right for Oscar Piastri. Yeah, we'll, start, we'll go with Oscar Piastri first. It was off the first lap he, he made contact, well, had contact made with, with him by Esteban Ocon in the Alpine. And unfortunately, both of those cars retired. Oscar Piastri had uh, damage to a radiator. The power unit was overheating and they said, you've got to come in. Uh, with the regulations in Formula One, you're only allowed a certain amount of um, power units, which is what we call engines, essentially, in Formula One. Um, and so he had to go and look after that engine, had to retire the car. Daniel Ricciardo, you know, back, he's back. We were so excited he was back. Probably didn't fire a great shot in qualifying, started 15th and then um, rolled the dice on a strategy, a one-stopper, didn't pay off and uh, he ended up back in 17th in race trim but after disqualifications, 
he'll come home in 15th, which really means nothing because there's no points that, that far down. Uh, Verstappen's uh, 50th win. Where do you rank him all time? That's a pretty significant milestone. Am, am I wrong in uh, making that claim, 50 wins? No, I mean, that's, that's absolutely outstanding from uh, Max Verstappen. I think the big one here is that he now equals his, uh, his record of 15 wins in one season, and we've still got four races to go. So he, uh, he actually got 15 wins in total in 2022. He's got 15 wins to this point of the season. Um, he will... I was actually a bit disappointed that the crowd booed him. In fact, uh, there, was a, there was some boos going on out there, and I understand the frustration with domination of drivers. But if you, if you look at it for the purity of sport, for the talent, for what he's able to achieve, he is incredible. He is, uh, he's going to be listed in the, you know, the same breath in the future as Michael Schumacher, Lewis Hamilton, you know, Sir Lewis Hamilton with his seven World Drivers' Championships. He's going to be listed in the same breath as Ayrton Senna. He is an incredible talent. And you just look at Sergio Perez in the same machinery, can't even get near him. Max Verstappen is elite in his talent. Uh, love it. Um, let's turn our attention to MotoGP. Uh, you were down at Phillip Island on the weekend for the MotoGP. Bit happening. Uh, can you just explain uh, for those who, who don't follow it as closely, why did the race get switched from Sunday to Saturday, the main race, Cam? They, a lot of information was received by Dorna. Dorna are the organisers or basically the, the head of MotoGP. So they're like your FIA, Formula One management, mm. but for, for MotoGP. They were getting a lot of information early on in the weekend and as every bit that came in, every three-hour increment showed that we were going to have almost cyclonic-style winds at Phillip Island. Phillip Island is a very scary track. It is, um, it is super fast. It is exposed to wind directly off the ocean. And when you're tipping in on these bikes, and they're doing over 350 kilometres an hour, no seatbelt, no cage, they're not inside. They're sitting perched on top of a rocket doing 350 kilometres an hour, when you are getting reports of gusts, of wind gusts of up to 80 kilometres an hour, and you know that riders are, are knocked off their bike at 50 kilometres an hour winds, uh, they made the right call and said, we want the Grand Prix to be full points paying. We want to guarantee it runs. This championship is super tight between Peko Bangaya and Jorge Martin. So we need to run this on Saturday. We can run the Sunday on sprint. If we get it, it's a bonus. If we don't, at least we got the full Grand Prix in. And it looks like, and well, it was a masterstroke to do that. We got a, a ripper of a race on Saturday. Johan Zarco wins in pretty uh, dramatic fashion, which always makes for a much better race when the, the drama can ensue in the manner that it did. The sprint that got moved to Sunday uh, got cancelled. How did you see the race? And what did you make of the performance of Aussie Jack Miller, Camp? Uh, well, I'll come back to Thriller Miller. I'll stay on the I'll stay on the actual uh, the race result. It was Jorge Martin who had led the championship at Indonesia one week ago after winning the sprint race, then went on to uh, lead the Grand Prix in Indonesia. Putting his bike down though meant that he lost uh, the lead after only one day of leading the championship. He came out, put it on pole, and was looking to be the rider to beat on the day in the Grand Prix. But he rolled the dice. He gambled on a soft compound tyre. The only rider at the front to go with a soft compound tyre. Phillip Island, high degradation track. So, you know, you need to conserve your tyre and look after it. The other riders, they they managed their tyres well. And and it looks like he had it. It looks like Jorge Martin had it. I left the media centre with three laps to go to go and prepare to wrap up the coverage. And I I got down to look at the times and went, oh, no, his tyre is gone. They caught him on, la- on turn four of the last lap, and he had, uh, 
You mentioned before Johan Zarco, the French rider who had never won a MotoGP before in the premier class. And you had Peko Bagnaia, the championship contender, both pass him at turn four. Bagnaia very nearly got the lead, but Johan Zarco, he uh, managed to hold on for the win. And it was extremely happy scenes in the entire paddock. Everyone was so happy that the Frenchman got his first win. How long has it been since an Aussie saluted um, in the Australian MotoGP, Cameron? It has been a few few years now, but I'll give you one bit of good news, though. One yes. one Aussie bit of good news is that Joel Kelso, a youngster in Moto3, so this is that you know the first step on the rung at the elite level to get into MotoGP. Yes, Joel Kelso came into the weekend, didn't have a drive or ride for next year, so he had he had basically racing for his career this weekend with only five rounds to go, four to go now. He went out and put it on the front row. Then in the treacherous conditions of Sunday, or I should say he actually signed a deal with Bowie Motorsports overnight. So he secured his 2024 ride and then went out and got a podium. The first time an Aussie stood on the podium since 2014. And so Joel Kelso, we, we um, in motorbikes, in motorcycle racing, we actually celebrate Moto3, Moto2 and MotoGP, referring to MotoGP as the premier class. But to get a result, to get a podium at a Moto3 level, is incredible and uh, and a credit to a young man that was racing for his career over the weekend. And we, we were very happy Aussies, very proud Aussies that day. This is why you always go when someone says, you want the good news or the bad news? You always take the bad first so you can finish with the good. Cameron Vanderdungen, co-host of the Gridwalk Show, 8pm Sundays on SEN. Mate, that's as comprehensive as we could have asked for. You did it magnificently. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Thanks for that. 8pm Sundays on SEN, Grid Walk with Cam. First serve, 8pm tonight on SEN. The host and the voice of tennis on this station is Brett Phillips. He's been good enough to jump on. BP, hello, my friend. Hello, Sammy. Good to hear you in the uh, afternoon chair. Uh, great to be heard. That would be uh, a matter of opinion, though, depending on which way you fall. Uh, hey, a um, lot happening in the world of tennis, and we don't have enough time to get through it all. But uh, young US star Ben Shelton, that's a big win in his career in Japan. Well, he's a, he's a star in the making, and it's been unfolding all year, Sam. It started in his first trip outside of the United States on a plane. He came to Australia and made the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. Made the semifinals in New York, went down to Novak Djokovic. Mm. Uh, wins his first title on the weekend. He's gone from 96 to 15 in a hurry this year. He's a lefty. He plays big. He swings hard. He's got charisma. His dad was a pro. They've got a tight relationship. He's bound for the top 10. Uh, ceiling, who knows? Uh, this guy could be the world number one potentially uh, one day. He talks a big game, but he plays a big game. He's a star. Uh, and we like those players who are going to give us headlines uh, in any way that they go about it, whether it be with the racket or with the mouth. Hey, um, the initial field for Oricon, one of everyone has a soft spot for Kuyong. It's one of the great tournaments. The schedule, the initial field's been announced. Look, it has. And, you know, if you're in, obviously, our audience is in Melbourne. It's just a beautiful setting to get down. It's a nice little boutique setting. The club has been fully renovated. Uh, the tournament's been back a couple of years. Look, it is hard, one of the hardest draws to confirm because it's it's an exhibition. And they've announced Yannick Sinner, Dominic Team, Holger Runa, Karen Hutchinov. So some of the stars. Uh, but, you know, obviously once they get to Melbourne that week prior to the Australian Open, some like to be at Melbourne Park and just prepare. Some like to have two or three guaranteed matches. So Peter Johnston, he's got good connections. Uh, obviously, uh, Sinner 
will be the star attraction. And get down there, get some tickets, get to Kuyong for three days, and just it'll be like you know seeing that old grandstand like the seventies and eighties when it was holding the Australian Open, Sam. So it's a good feel that's been announced at this stage. And the United Cup still looking to win a few more over to its format. The schedule for Sydney and Perth has been released. So we can confirm the Aussies are going to play in Perth. That'll be in the group stage, in the same group as the UK and the US. So obviously, United Cup, second year running, mixed men's and women's. We named our team uh, last week, led by Alex Stimanor on the men's side. Uh, Ola Tomjanovic, who we've hardly seen play this year. She's only played one match. Uh, she'll uh, be leading the women's contingent. Yeah, look, who knows? There's big talk that Saudi Arabia might grab this event in 2025. They're grabbing a hell of a lot in sport, as we know, and they've got eyes for plenty of tennis tournaments in the future. So we'll roll this one out. Truncated version, just the two cities this year. But the Aussies in Perth to start, and if they're good enough, they'll be in the finals in Sydney. What's on the show tonight? Plenty. Yeah, all of that and uh, a whole lot more, uh, Sam. So there's just tennis news going on everywhere, all our normal segments. Even the forgotten Bernard Tomics had a win uh, today in Las Vegas. So he might be on the strip right now, just somewhere... (laughs) Just spending all the money you win oh, for a 15K event, which is about 500 bucks he probably won today, Sam. So we'll talk about Bernie. Uh, you can get your full serve of tennis on the first serve with Brett Phillips, 8pm tonight on SEM. BP, thank you. Thank you. Uh, time to celebrate some lives. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, family-owned business since 1934. Our very good friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating celebrating lives. A shout out to the late great Pelé. He was born on this day in 1940. He sadly passed away last year, but as iconic a figure in not just world football, but in sport uh, as overall. Happy birthday to Australian, one of Australia's great players and people in Archie Thompson, who turns 45 today. We all love Archie Thompson. Now that's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.